Hello, welcome to the Evolution Sports Podcast, Volume 3, Part 2. I'm your host, Andrew Ferraro. This is my co-host, Dave Sanders. We're going to continue discussing our learnings through three weeks here in the NFL. Uh, before we get back into that, I just want to say, if you haven't, please take a moment, do some donations for Hurricane Florence Relief. Whatever you've got, whether it be time, cash, uh, items, things that are desperately needed. Um, I live in a directly impacted area. Um, I can tell you about the devastation firsthand. Uh, so this is me pleading with you that if you've got a few extra bucks, something laying around the house that you know, hey, I can, you can donate, go to a good cause, please do. Uh, the floodwaters may have started to recede. It is not raining, uh, but the devastation will be here for quite a while. Um, as you, I'm sure if you know folks that live through Harvey out in Houston, uh, through Katrina, Sandy, those things. It is not a simple, hey, it's been two weeks, you guys are good, have a good day. So please, if you got some time, money, items, whatever it may be, please think about donating. Uh, so we talked about great performances, not so great performances. Let's kind of kick into the rookies. Um, you know, QBs were the, all the rage coming out. Uh, this was supposed to be one of those great QB classes, plus Saquon Barclay, a lot of potentially franchise changers. Uh, first one, I mean, you can't talk about franchise changers and terrible franchises without talking about the Jets. Uh, so let's kind of start with uh, Darnold. Dave, uh, why don't you give us a breakdown here on uh, on my man Darnold. Sure. So, I mean, the first week was great. The Lions game they dominated, and a lot of that was, um, you know, big throws by Darnold, but also some big plays by the defense that inflated that score a bit and maybe – um, got the hype start with him a bit sooner than it should have. Um, but all that said, through three games, I think he's been kind of what we should have expected. Uh, he's got a ton of talent. He's been one of the top-rated recruits coming out of high school and throughout college. He was always thought of as you know an early first-round pick. He does, you know, he's very turnover-happy, especially in those last few years at USC. And I think that's translated a bit to the NFL. Uh, but it is early. It's three games. He doesn't have great weapons yeah, around I, him. Yeah, I can see that. So I think, um, I think Darnold's probably my favorite guy coming out. Still, uh, he had those turnover problems at, at SC. I think that was more him trying to force things. Um, I don't know if the hype train got to him a little bit where he said, hey, I got to really solidify my draft position or what. Um, big arm. Uh, he's very cerebral. Uh, that is something I enjoy. I saw it a lot in the preseason. I feel like he made good strides week to week, and I think he will continue. Like you said, there's not much there on the Jets. Um, you know, name a playmaker off the Jets, and I'll probably give you 20 bucks. Uh, that's what I thought. Didn't didn't know any of them. So, you know, when you when your best receiver is Quincy and Unwa, you're you're kind of going to struggle. Um, I guess my big question when you you can't talk about Darnold without talking about the other team in New York, the Giants, who had picked two, uh, they went Barclay. Uh, I mean, Saquon is the All-American, All-Universe running back came in, coming out of Penn State. Um, I, me personally, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to haunt the Giants long term. Uh, could have had an opportunity to grab a franchise quarterback. They went running back instead. It just seemed like the wrong choice then. I still feel that way. What about you? Yeah, I think that's how most of us think. Um, Barkley's amazing. He comes in as one of the best running backs in football already. Uh, we kind of thought that from day one. He's also one of the most expensive running backs already. And in a, in a league where the running back position continues to be devalued with both draft capital and you know free agency signings, it's an interesting move. And it's interesting, for, I guess, for a number of reasons because um, Eli is getting older. This is We're near the end with him. They've got Odell in his prime. They've got you know Ingram and Shepard. They've got some weapons there now. And 
they're just not set up to you know really contend right now. So you're wasting some of Barkley's best years on a team that's going to be you know struggling to reach 500. It's not the move I would have made. Um, they could have had their choice of any quarterback besides Baker, and um, I think that's probably they're probably going to regret that because getting back up to that draft position to take one of these quarterbacks is probably going to require um, a trade at this point where you're going to give up future assets to get back in there. So. If I were a Giants fan, I'd be disappointed. I love Saquon. I think you definitely nailed that pick, but the you know the value of a quarterback is just so much higher than a running back, and I I think that's gonna be a constant comparison for them, especially if one or two of these guys turn into you know cerebral franchise guys. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, big fan of Saquon, love him. Uh, I just think the Giants are gonna be gonna have to waste the year of Saquon. They're gonna have to waste the year of o- OBJ. You're gonna have to pay start paying people because uh, they're gonna need a quarterback. Eli's old, doesn't look very good, uh, especially week two. Um, he was just getting destroyed and gave the classic Eli looks. I think it's just going to haunt the Giants long term. Yep. So they had an op- opportunity here. Uh, you've seen a lot of gems in the running back market you can get later. Um, Alvin Kamara comes to mind first off. So I think they missed the boat there. Um, but let's switch over to your you're probably one of your favorite guys in the draft, uh, Josh Rosen. Yeah, Rosen's been my favorite guy in a while, really. Um, UCLA put up huge numbers. He was criticized a lot because their record wasn't great, especially in big games. But if you look back at some of those, they were scoring 40 points on good teams, and the defense was getting killed. Uh, he's not the most mobile, but I think he can make all the throws. He's been criticized some for being um, kind of a smart ass with coaches and you know giving off some personality there. But I prefer to have my quarterback be more you know too much on the bright side and challenging things than uh, not putting in the work and not being as dedicated so to me he's the guy I think he's I'm excited that he's getting his full start now especially after the brief appearance last week Um, I think he'll open things up for David Johnson and help Larry Fitzgerald improve his season as well Um, I think let's move on to Baker though I think that was the big hype of last week Thursday night football we had Joe Buck and Aikman talking about it during the game. You know, what are the chances he comes into this game? I didn't think it was very realistic. Tyrod goes down, and in comes Baker, and the rest is history. Um, what do you think of that performance? I mean, yeah, that, that's Baker being Baker. Uh, if anybody's kind of followed him through college, especially the last couple of years, uh, I think he kind of got a bad rap uh, as far as, you know, playing the flag. Is he childish? Uh, you know, I heard on the radio, it might have been Stephen A. talking about how he came out and the first thing he had was his phone. And what does that mean? I, right. I, it's the dumbest. As if that matters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. He got his phone. Oh, he was checking his Twitter. Like, who gives a damn? Um, the yep. kid's, you know, he's 23. Let him be what he's going to be. Uh, but yep. no, um, I probably wasn't on the Baker hype train uh, pre-draft. Uh, but post-draft and now after a week, I think we're going to really kind of see what he, he can do. Um, I'm loading up the Baker Express. Uh, Cleveland might have found something to actually not have to buy a New Jersey every year for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. He, he looks pretty good. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think he's set up best to succeed this year of all these guys. Um, you know, Rosen's got a poor offensive line in Arizona, but – Baker's got a decent line. He's got good weapons, even without Josh Gordon. You've got Landry, Callaway, and Joku. And then you've got three running backs who are all pretty solid. Uh, he looked really decisive in that game. That was my biggest takeaway is that he came in and he was letting it rip. Um, looked, you know, it looked like he belonged. It looked comfortable. He's played a lot of big games in college, so I guess that does make sense. And now with getting 
first team reps all week and knowing he's the guy, I think they're going to be actually a pretty decent team and we're going to see the Browns maybe get the six or seven wins. Yeah, uh, I got a bet going with a guy at work. He said the Browns are going to make 500. I said not a chance. Um, you would ask me a week ago, I would have told you I'm doing great on that bet. Now with uh, the Baker train coming, I still don't think they make 500, but I think they're going to do better. Um, and we couldn't talk week three football without talking about Josh Allen hurdling people, leading the Bills, and coming from a 17-point uh, underdog to beat the pants off the Vikings. That was incredible. That was the biggest upset, I think, in 23 years. Um, you know, for a 16-and-a-half-point favorite to lose like that, it's just unprecedented. Yeah. Uh, Josh looked good, the best I've seen him. Um, yeah. I, I, my boss is a huge Bills fan, so I texted him through the game. Wouldn't know if he'd bought his Josh Allen jersey yet. Uh, he, right. he had not, just in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think he looks pretty good. He's looking good so far. I'll be curious to see how he backs it up. He's got the biggest arm. I just don't think he can hit the broad side of a barn. He needs a lot of development there. Yeah. Um, but He hey, has a lot of the physical tools, though, so I can understand why he's a first-round pick. Guys like that usually don't fall till later just with that, you know, set of skills. Um, so, but he's going to need a lot of reps, a lot of work, and I think – there's a chance that he becomes maybe the best in this class, but he also probably has the biggest you know, chance of being a complete bust and washing out of the league in a couple of years. I would 100% agree. He's either going to – the the ceiling's really big, but the floor is quite at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, so I guess if we kind of had to say, if you had to rank – what were your rankings to say with Vlad Allen, so the top four uh, prior to the draft? What did, what did you have him ranked as, Dave? Yeah, I had Rosen number one by a good amount. Um, Mayfield two, and then there was a big drop from there. I would have gone Darnold. I would have actually put Lamar Jackson there at four, and then um, Josh Allen at five. How about you? Um, I actually had Darnold up. I, I Darnold probably at one, Rosen at one A. Um, I didn't think you were going to go wrong either way there. Um, mm-hmm. I probably had a dip there. I guess to Mayfield at three. He is a little shorter. He play, feel like he played college forever. Just didn't quite know if the ceiling was going to be there. I felt like from a floor standpoint, he, he knew what he was doing was going to be all right for you. Sure. Um, probably not, like I said, probably Lamar at four, even though I wasn't real high of his skill set translating well to the NFL. Um, and I would have told you not to just let Josh Allen go undrafted. <laughs> um, yeah. I thought pre-draft I considered him, you know, a Ryan Mallett. I'm seven feet tall. I can throw the ball a mile, make me a quarterback. Wasn't yeah. a big fan. Um, but if I had to redo the rankings, um, I would probably go Mayfield one. Mm-hmm. Um, then I would go probably Darnold and Rosen are both about the same still. Probably lean a little bit more Darnold because he's shown me some more, uh, especially through the preseason. I felt like he got a lot better. I'd go yeah. Allen at four and then Lamar Jackson. I just, I just don't see the situation. I don't see him being utilized right, and I think it's really going to hinder his development. I feel like he turns into a Tyrod Taylor. So with these rookies, we're seeing them get into game action pretty early. Do you think sitting for a year can benefit a quarterback? Do you think it's best to get them out there week one? Um, I, I think with where the NFL is, the changes in college, I, me personally, I don't see sitting doing a whole lot. Um, you don't get the reps you need uh, against the looks. A lot of it is seeing looks. Uh, depending on your quarterback, yeah, I think uh, somebody that comes out of an offense that doesn't do anything but stare at uh you know the coach for the play and all the checks needs mm-hmm. to sit 
Uh, but I mean, the last the last rookie to sit for an entire season was Jake Locker in Tennessee. Yeah, that's J- Jake Locker doesn't have a locker <laughs> anymore. He, he's not. I don't even think no, he's, he's in the league. Um, yeah, so he's not even in the league. So, you know, there are some success stories in Aaron Rodgers. Uh, comes mm-hmm. to mind, but you got to look at who Aaron Rodgers was behind. He was behind Brett Favre, and then they finally kicked Brett Favre out because they knew, hey, Aaron's got to play. Uh, you know, I just don't see it. You see a lot of guys that do sit that maybe aren't first round picks. Start them as soon really as possible. Um, I think uh, the offseason reps they can get, especially getting first team reps from the beginning, can be really valuable. We've seen in recent years that Tom Savage held back Deshaun Watson for a few weeks, it was a complete disaster. Watson then came out at that point and lit it up. Uh, I think you're seeing with Mayfield coming in, sitting him for a game or two. I don't know what values gained there. They're already playing in huge, huge you know, game environments in college, um, and getting those practice reps, first team reps all week seems to make a lot more sense to me than bringing somebody in mid game like Mayfield and like Rosen did. Um, I guess transitioning from there, we talked a lot about how important reps are, and a lot of these college schemes. Um, you know, the college scheme does play a big part, but so does how many reps they've gotten. So we kind of looked at some stats about guys who weren't in pro-style offenses but had a ton of reps. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 1,500 pass attempts in college, and Mahomes had 1,300. Um, so I guess in my opinion, that plays a big role because they're coming in as pretty experienced quarterbacks. Um, what are your thoughts on them? I mean, rep, reps totally make a difference, but they got to be the right reps. Um, you know, we can – and we've got – and we'll make sure we tweet this out – is uh, from Chris Brown talk, talked about Mayfield. You know, he was in five, five years in, the, in, the, in college across two different programs, started 48 games. So he saw 3,600 plays. So, he, so you saw 3,600 different defensive looks. Um, and he played in, oh, well, it's not NFL complex, still gave him a lot of responsibility to change plays, routes, blocking schemes, make the checks. Um, I think being cerebral and having to make those checks is a huge advantage. Uh, so you, you know, you flick through the flip end of that spectrum, uh, somebody like a Chip Kelly. Um, and this came straight, straight from Jason Kelsey. Um, Chip Kelly's offense contains zero ability for the quarterback to make an audible check, change plays, anything. And that was even in the NFL. Yeah, that's really alarming. So that's horrifying, yeah. actually, um, which can explain why the Chip Kelly experiment ended as poorly as it did. Yeah, I mean, you're for a, I said for a, for a Mayfield, um, you know, him being able to get up to the line, make those calls, make those checks. Um, you're only going to get those with reps. You're only going to get those with experiences. He's going to see different looks, see different schemes. Uh, you know, I think back to probably the best at, at being making changes. Omaha himself, mm-hmm. uh, Peyton Manning, would call two, three plays in the huddle and then come up and maybe go to a third play just based on what he saw. Not saying Mayfield's got to do something like that, but you know reps make a difference. So being able to do those things and make those freedoms and and know why you're doing it's it's going to be a big deal. Completely agree. I love that we get this information on Twitter, um, which has become such a great resource for educating fans. There are so many great follows out there. We just mentioned Smart Football, Chris Brown. Um, there are now film breakdowns from the recent years from Matt Waldman, Dan Orlovsky this year. They really take fans you know, inside the game much deeper than you see on TV. Um, it allows you to have you know, a two-minute clip where 
um, the commentators breaking down exactly what they're seeing there from a scouting point of view, and it's helped you know me learn a lot, and it really has piqued my interest in the certain nuances that we just don't, you know, the usual sports fan doesn't think about. And even when the color analyst on the game breaks stuff down, it's usually not to that level. Um, who are some of your favorite followers on Twitter? Um, I have to say, uh, you know, Warren Sharp's got a good, oh, yeah. good bit there. Sharp's football. He's got his book. Uh, Elvin Evan Silva does some yep. stuff. Uh, I call him Frisco Josh. That's his Twitter handle. But um, Josh has got some great stuff. I do a lot of his stuff. He does the air yards and things like yep. that. Um, but I mean, Orlovsky's become huge for me. Uh, anytime I see he's got some posts that I end up, you know, listening to his breakdowns. It's really nice to see a former player be like, "Hey, here's here's what it is. Here's why this is important." Yep. He didn't just break it down and say, "Hey, look at a great throw by Mahomes here." He says, "No, here's here's what he saw. Here's what the coverage is. Here's why that's yep. good." Um, and I think I think that's also what makes Tony Romo so much better um, as a color commentator than others is he gets excited, but he can also tell you what he's seeing and why. Very true. Um, it's just an education listening to Romo. First of all, he's got the you know passion. You can tell he just loves you know loves football, loves doing it. But it really is just it's so educational throughout the game that it's eye opening. That why hasn't you know, why haven't color analysts been doing this for a long time? Why are we still getting the same cliches from many of the guys? Um, and one of my favorites, Phil Sims, comes to mind because he would just repeat the same phrases that we talked about this all week. And there just wasn't a whole lot of insight there. Not a whole lot that the, user, that the you know, viewer is gaining. But Romo has been, you know, revolutionary besides just predicting plays, but really just providing, you know, insight into the thought processes of the quarterback and then scheme-wise that nobody else has really done. Yeah, I think that's really what's going to be for uh, whether it be NBC, Fox, CBS, ESPN, the NFL Network, uh, whoever's broadcasting the game is getting the correct color analyst together. Um, you know, you talk about Joe, uh, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman. Um, they don't add anything to the game, in my opinion. Uh, neither of those Chris Collinsworth, Phil Sims, those kind of guys. Um, yes, they've been doing it a while. I appreciate what they've given to the game um, while they are former players. They haven't played any time recently. Um, the game has changed significantly from when they played or and you know what they've seen. So it, it, it's just tough to relate to a guy, Troy Aikman, who hasn't played since the 90s. Uh, you know, talking about the passing schemes now and different form. Like it, it's just 100% different. So having a Romo, uh, Chris Carter was on a game this past week. I think he had the Saints-Falcons uh, game, if I remember correctly. Uh, so getting some insight from him, you know, that's a Hall of Fame receiver who's played recently. Uh, it's, it's been a little bit more refreshing. Jumping back to some of the stats that Warren Sharp has shared on Twitter. A lot of his data makes you rethink some of those norms that we thought for a long time in football. Like on third and fourth down near the goal line, you have to, you know, come out in a bunch of formation, run the football. Uh, we saw that the Seahawks were criticized for this when they threw an interception in the Super Bowl. But... He has so much data on this that actually shows that if you come out with multiple receivers in your formation, you have a much better success rate for both running and passing versus being in a bunch formation. Uh, this was especially notable, and he shared this a lot on Twitter during the Eagles-Falcons game when Sarkeesian lined up in bunch formations repeatedly. They didn't work out. Uh, it's not to say they would never work out, but it seems like the data shows having two and three receivers you know, makes a lot more sense. And that's a great insight that teams should be using. Um, but it is just kind of eye-opening that this kind of data is out there, that trusting your eyes isn't the way you always have to go when we have years' worth of data and tons of samples to look at. Um, just, you know, a lot of the data he gives you kind of makes you really rethink 
uh, you know, just some of your old school norms of, hey, I need to line up third and one. We better run the ball versus, you know, spreading them out. Maybe a better, better, better bet statistically. Definitely. Another way that Twitter has helped, you know, educate fans. I think we talked a little bit about Evan Silva and uh, Scott Barrett, their Twitter, their Twitter handles. But I learned a lot about Tyrod Taylor just through reading a couple of their tweets. Um, so Evan shared that Tyrod, you know, around the time of his trade to Cleveland, that he really has to see receivers open before throwing. He, the receivers, I guess, receivers that he's thrown to over the last couple of years had the highest average yards of separation at the time of the reception or being thrown to. Um, so at first glance, you'd think, okay, that's great. They're white. You know, he's seeing the open guys and throwing it to him. He's recognizing that. But it also probably means that he's not throwing into tight windows and he's waiting for that perfect opening. Um, so that kind of gave me some pause there and made me rethink Tyrod a little bit because those interception numbers are great. He doesn't turn the ball over. But if he's also not advancing the ball, that's a big problem. Um, Scott Barrett hit on this recently when they played the Steelers that they, you know, run zone coverage 80% of the time and Tyrod thrives against that. Um, while he struggles against man. So I think that even takes it a bit further and makes sense because he's seen that po- those pockets in the zone, throwing it in there, and when it's in tight man coverage, he's not as comfortable. And that was kind of a, something I took into the season this year. And after watching him through two and a half games, it was eye-opening to see. It just like changed my viewpoint on him completely. You saw him hesitate a bunch of times, and he was more willing to take a sack than throw it into a tight window to Jarvis Landry or whoever it may be. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really nice to see those things. You think, oh, man, his, his receivers had the highest separation. It's great. But then you also kind of, you know, if you look at just the straight stats of he had, you know, him, and I'm just making up numbers here, you know, he went 23-30 for, you know, 250 yards, a touchdown, no picks. You're like, oh, okay, you know, he had a solid game. But then you realize if, if he's a little more aggressive, yeah, he might have a pick, but he also might have some more, uh, you know, more yards, better sticks, drive the team to more wins. So... So, yeah, if you're not following guys like Scott Barrett or Evan Silva, like, you really need to. Uh, they put out a lot of great information, not only just for the casual fan or the guy who wants to be a little bit more educated, uh, but also, you know, in terms of fantasy football. Uh, I'm really big into fantasy football, as we talked on the on the intro pod. I know Dave is as well. Um, but the fantasy community was able to hit pay dirt this past week with Robert Woods. Uh, he, you know, first two weeks hadn't done a whole lot. Um, you know, Dave, how did he look week three? Yeah, lit it up. And the reason uh, the fantasy community was able to, to kind of take pride in that one is, you know, they used the analytics. What, how many snaps was he in? You know, was he getting opportunities? Was he running routes or was he just out there blocking every time, you know, he was in the game? And, you know, if you're not looking at depth of air yards and air yards per attempt, it's an advanced stat. You really need to. It's out. It's really great metric. You can do a lot to predict wide receiver success and consistency. So you're big on Robert Woods. I mean, Goff lit him up. He's killing it. Um, you know, Woods had a great game. I think it's one of those. You'll keep seeing these things. You'll be able to see those guys who are underutilized. So lastly, I wanted to finish up with one of our favorite guys, uh, Pat McAfee. I was a big fan of his back at West Virginia. Um, he punted for the Colts for a number of years, really successful there, pro bowler. And then he went on to go the comedy route. He was doing stand-up shows that were really successful. Uh, a lot of his content's out there on YouTube if you want to check it out. He went to Barstool for a while, and now is back doing his own podcast. Um, huge fan of his, and his Instagram and Twitter feeds on game day are amazing. He goes into very nuanced, detailed breakdowns of punting, kicking, holding, stuff you're not going to see elsewhere. Um, very entertaining, very funny. Uh, it's just really a great way to you know, dive deeper on Sunday. Have you gotten to check those out? Oh, for the brand, it's huge, man. 
Um, I'm a huge fan of what he does. Um, you know, I tend to like the, the smaller stuff, so the, the little nuances between kicking, holding, why is that important? Uh, he just brings a lot of passion to it, a lot of comedy. Uh, just makes you really enjoy it. And he, he does slow breakdowns. Um, everybody remembers him and Marquise Lee's to go after each other on different celebrations. Yeah, see who would one-up each other. So it's really great for Lee. Great to see him keep doing some great things. Um, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, do you got any final thoughts you want to add, Dave? Just wanted to add something on to our last conversation, um, part one. We were talking a lot about Andrew Luck and whether or not he, you know, has diminished from his previous years. Uh, we did have some numbers. We'll share these out on Twitter and on um, Facebook. But that his, you know, air yards, we talked about that a bit before. It calculates, you know, how many yards they're throwing in the air over a course of a game. His are way down. It's actually last in the league. Um, so that we talked a little bit about, you know, where T.Y. Hilton's getting targeted. But this is for luck as a whole. And he's just not throwing, you know, downfield much at all. That's definitely concerning. Um, Steve Young also mentioned that he's watched every snap of his or every throw of his, um, you know, since high school. And he's not the same guy to him. And that kind of echoes what we thought. So we're going to be rooting for luck, and we'll see over the next couple weeks if he can expand on this. But right now it is a bit concerning. Definitely. Um, It's kind of eye-opening. Like I said, I'm not all the way off the luck train. I'm kind of sitting at the station waiting to figure out if the train's going to keep going or not. Uh, wheels have definitely come off. I'll be curious to see if it's still just, hey, getting back from an injury. They've just been real secretive about it, so it's always concerning when you don't know much. Uh, like I said, we'll tweet those things out on the at Evo Sports Pod uh, Twitter handle. Uh, you can find myself um, at Drew Ferraro88. Uh, Dave, what's your Twitter handle? DSanders877. And the podcast itself is at Evo, Evo Sports Pod. We're also on Facebook. Yeah, go ahead and look for us. Uh, so that's going to wrap us up here for part two of volume three. I just want to thank you guys for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, leave us a note, hit us with any questions you've got. Uh, it really does help us get better. Let's just know we're on the right track for what to talk about what you guys want to talk about. Uh, we're pretty big up on, on the social media, so make sure you find us on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, at all of our handles there so you guys can get all the latest content from us and uh, join us in on the discussion.